Teresa, appreciate that good song. You don't have to doubt about who she's singing about loves her. Is that right? She's singing about Jesus. But, but I did notice when she was singing that I looked down and Brother Mike was smiling from ear to ear down there. And, uh, you know, the difference between what I call spiritual music and what I would call uh, contemporary Christian music is many times when you hear the music and the song, it might be about Jesus, but it could very well be about somebody else. I think a spiritual song is going to identify who it's about and tell you, hey, I'm not just singing about my friend, my neighbor, you know, my husband. I'm singing about Jesus Christ. I think that's a spiritual song. So anyway, so good to have you this morning. And to our many guests, we're glad to have you here. And I want you to take your Bible this morning. If you turn to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment, we'll begin there. Now, I know that uh, Brother Willette preached a message on walking in the Spirit. And uh, I'm going to preach out of the same passage. I know we preached a message about bitterness, and I preached out of the same passage. And lest you think that all I'm doing is trying to follow Brother Willette, I'm just trying to follow the Lord. But I will say this, what he preached to us was worth repeating. And um, that's not my purpose this morning. I don't plan to preach what he preached on. But I, I do want you to know Romans chapter 8 is probably considered by many to be one of the great chapters in all of the Bible. And the reason I say that is, is because of some of the statements that are made in this chapter that are unlike any other statement in the Bible. Maybe if you could think of it this way, it's kind of the pinnacle of the New Testament believer's faith. And I'll point that out to you if you look starting in verse number 1, and let's just read a few of these phrases. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Well, I'd say that's something to rejoice over right there. No condemnation. Verse number 2, the end of the verse says that we are free from the law of sin and death. Verse 14 says that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we're not just Baptists here this morning. If you've been born again, we're children of God. We have a Father that is in heaven as well as the earthly Father we have here. It's repeated again there in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Look at verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Your best day down here is not even going to compare to your worst day up there. Not even going to compare. And then if you look, the Bible says in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Verse 31, look at it. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, <laughs> who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The Bible says in verse 37, look at this, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. Every time I read that, I can still hear Earl Hughes say, you know what that means, don't you? That means that not only did we fight the battle and won the war, but we've got ammunition left over. Amen. More than conquerors. Amen. 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 Verse 39 that no, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
some of the greatest phrases and off-quoted phrases outside of the book of Philippians and perhaps Isaiah right in Romans chapter 8. And I think that we need to examine what is there. But before we do, I need you to go back to Romans 5 for just a moment because if we don't follow Romans 5, 6, and 7, it's hard to really then preach in context what's going on in Romans chapter 8. Now, those of you that are our guests here this morning, we, uh, we have a policy and guideline for our church that we try to follow. Um, we try to take and follow rules of a handbook in our schools, our, our, our uh, high school, our, our Bible college, our children's home. But if you really want to know what our, our book is, the, the book of our doctrine is the book of Romans. And what I mean by that is Romans is where we get our standing from. It's where we get our fundamental teachings from. And that first one is found right there in Romans chapter 5. And it starts off, therefore, being justified by faith. What that means is in Romans 5 that we are justified, that we are made righteous in the eyes of God through grace, through faith. The Bible says that we are justified by faith. And what I mean by that or what I'm pointing out is that you and I have a very unique standing that though our past may be storied and though it may be full of things that we wish we could cover and hide and that we wish we could erase, if you by faith have trusted what Jesus Christ finished at the cross of Calvary, Amen. you're justified. Amen. You're justified. Amen. Now, maybe not in the eyes of others. There may be people that know you and in their eyes, you're just as vile as you've ever been. In their eyes, you're just as corrupt as you've ever been. In their eyes, there may be no space of forgiveness or anything else, but I'm telling you, in God's eyes, you've been made justified by faith. That did not come through a baptistry, and it did not come through church membership. It did not come through uh, setting out and living a certain standard of, of religious life and do's and don'ts. It came by faith in Jesus Christ, and especially Look what the Bible says in verse 8. God commended, amen, his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you when you were far from him and cared nothing about the Bible, cared nothing about righteousness. He died for you when you were neck deep in sin and pride and didn't care about him at all. He died for you while you were a sinner so he could justify you when you came by faith. So justification is a very critical step as we move through the book of Romans. I'm a Baptist, but being a Baptist does not bring justification. Justification only comes by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Well, so we have justification, but then in chapter 6, if you want to write the word above this chapter, the word sanctification. Sanctification means that I have been freed from sin and my flesh to now become a servant of God and righteousness. That I used to be only able to serve the flesh and sin. That while I was a sinner, all I did was follow my flesh and follow what sin was put in front of me. But the Bible says there in Romans chapter 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, I am no longer a servant of my flesh 
that now that I've been justified, hey, are you listening? I can now be a servant of righteousness in God because I have a new nature on the inside. You know, I think, I think it is sad that people today use the word saved and they use it very lightly. There, there are people that will tell you that they have been saved from hell, but they have not been saved from sin. That they have been saved from the penalty of their sin, but not from the pleasure of their sin. Brethren, I'm telling you this morning, if you've been born again and you've been freed from hell and you've been freed from the power of sin, you ought to live a changed life after you've been born again. The idea that we can live however we want to live after we have been saved is faulty thinking. That I, There was a time that I was only able to serve my flesh. But thanks be to God, after I got justified by faith, now I can serve somebody else besides my flesh. Now that I've been justified by faith, I don't have to be a servant of sin. I can be free from that sin, and I can serve righteousness now instead. Amen. Sanctification. There is no such thing as sanctification without justification. But there also should never be a truth that after justification, there is no sanctification. If we've been justified, then we ought to also live a sanctified life. Amen. Amen. So then we step to chapter 7. Chapter 7, if you want to write the word over that, you could write the word liberty. I have been now made free from the relationship that I had under the law. When you say the law, what do you mean by that? I had to explain that to one of my children the other day that, you know, you cannot get a ticket given to you on a road that does not have the speed limit posted. So really, you could drive as fast as you want on a road that does not have a posted speed limit. Boy, I'm looking, some people are smiling and some people are just... They are, they are gasping in fear right now. Because without the law, sin cannot be imputed. In other words, I can't convince you or convict you of a crime if it's not been posted. It has to be posted. Well, under the law, when you lived under the law, everything we did is under the law. The law condemns, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And the law, the law over and over and over again would say, you're guilty, you're guilty. And by the way, I think that's one of the reasons that they do not want the Ten Commandments in places of government today. Men don't want to be reminded that you shouldn't murder. That includes babies. That you shouldn't steal, that includes what they call, uh, what is that term we use? It wasn't looting anymore. It's called smash and grab. No, how about we just call it what it is? It's called stealing. That you're not supposed to take God's name in vain, though if you watch any movies or television today, they feel like they can't have a conversation without taking God's name. I'm just saying this, that, that men don't like the law taking and pointing that finger at them and saying, you're guilty, you're guilty. But when we were in sin, that's all we were under. But I'm telling you now, not only have I been justified, and not only have I been, I'm, I'm going to have a fit right now. Not only have I been justified, not only been sanctified, but now I'm no longer under that law. I've been set at liberty. I'm now under grace. Right. Now I'm under grace because I've been given freedom from sin and freedom from the flesh, and now I can serve 
righteousness. And so I have liberty. That's why the Bible says in verse number two, for the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. And that's exactly what he's talking about, the law. Verse six, but now we are delivered from the law. You say, how is that? Because Jesus Christ kept every point of the law perfectly. Hey, look, we, we need to understand something this morning. I am not righteous because of what I do. I am righteous because what he did. In other words, me keeping the law, I, I could not keep the law under the law, and I can't keep the law now under grace, but Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ kept it perfectly, and that is how I'm free. The Bible says now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in oldness of the letter. So, so we're free, but that's not how chapter 7 ends. Chapter 7 doesn't end in liberty. Or at least it doesn't seem to end in liberty. And what the Bible begins to point out in verse, uh, we'll start there if you look at it in verse number 17. Now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Look, look in verse 15. That which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I if then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it was good. In other words, he's saying, I'm conflicted. I, I know I've been justified, and, and I know I've been sanctified, and I know I have liberty from the law, but I had this struggle, I had this battle, that that which I would do, I don't do. And that what I would not do, I do. And then he says this, verse 17, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So he says, in me, sin dwells. In my flesh, no good thing dwells. Verse 20. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now look closely at verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good... Evil is present with me. What he's saying is that though I've been justified and sanctified and set at liberty, I have this great struggle with the flesh. And listen, uh, church can, and, and guests, let me say this to you. The flesh cannot be sanctified. The flesh cannot be sanctified. Because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So what happens, you have somebody like the Pharisees that come along. And what the Pharisees do, they take and they bring their flesh underneath control and they take great pride in what they do to put off the flesh and how they wash their hands often and all the things that they do as legalistically taking and controlling the flesh. And then on the other side of that, then you have the libertines and the libertines come along and they say, well, we take great pride in the fact that we indulge our flesh so we've been set at liberty. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Your flesh doesn't need to be indulged in, and your flesh, you don't need to be proud about what you have done or not done. Your flesh, it will not be sanctified until we get a brand new body. So you have to look at your flesh as what it is. It's something there's no good thing in. It is a daily battle. Come on now. It is a daily battle. 
It is a struggle that you don't fight with the devil and you don't fight with the world. You fight with your flesh. Now, I'm sanctified, but not my flesh. I'm justified, but not my flesh. I'm at liberty, but not my flesh. My flesh is something that bothers me and it torments me and it steps in the way of me serving God and serving righteousness. Is there anybody out there that could help me preach a little bit right now? Because you can be a Baptist and you can put on the right clothes, which I believe you should, and you can abstain from drinking, which I believe you should, and you can clean up your language, which I believe you should, but it will never sanctify your flesh because God said that flesh won't be sanctified till it's changed. So I got to live with it. I don't like living with it. I don't like brushing it. I don't like cleaning it. I don't like tending to it. I don't like repairing it. I don't like other people looking at it and inspecting it and telling me how wrong it is and how bad it is. But I'm telling you, until you get, are you listening? Until you get home to heaven, that flesh is with you. And I'm telling you, you know what you need then? You need what's in chapter 8. Look at chapter 8. What you need in chapter 8 then, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Why don't you write over chapter 8, the spirit-filled life. In fact, I want to add one other, one other important part to that. If you'll look at what the Bible says in verse 26, chapter 8, now look. Likewise, look at your Bible now. Not, not, I'm, this is not my, I'm not making this up, trying to help us uh, as far as my opinion. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, I'm telling you right now, somebody that's been justified in the eyes of God that now has a sanctified life that they can serve God in righteousness and has liberty from the law but has a flesh that is not sanctified. You know what we need more than anything else? We need help of the Holy Spirit is what we need. That's what we need. Need help. You know, if you're a believer and you don't think you need help, I think you're in a very dangerous place in your life. I don't need any help. I've been saved 40 years. I've read the Bible. I've been baptized twice. In the creek and in the baptistry, so I'm good. No, you know what we all need? Are you listening to me? You know what we all need? I'm talking about from the pastor down to the smallest child in this church that's been saved. You know what every one of us need? We need the help of the Holy Ghost. We need his help. That's why in chapter 8, I think it's either 18 or 19 times the word spirit is used. You can go through and underline them. It's over and over and over and over again. The emphasis is on the spirit of God. And I, Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to slow down just a minute. I'm glad I got somebody to help me. You know, there's some things in life you can't find help from anybody. There are things that go beyond their, their resources, and there are things that go beyond their skill set, and there are things that go beyond people's knowledge. You know what I'm glad? I'm glad I've got the Holy Spirit of God that says, I'm going to help you with your problems. You got some big problems. You got some things in your flesh that cannot be sanctified and straightened out, but I tell you what I'm going to do. You've been justified, sanctified, and set at liberty, and I see you struggle, and I just want you to know I'm here to help you. 
That's something your pastor may not be able to do. That's something that your mother, your dad may not be able to do. That's something that your spouse may not be able to help you in. But I'm telling you, where, where their ability runs out, where the spouse's ability stops, and where the pastor's ability stops, hey, hey, God's ability doesn't stop there. The Holy Ghost has power to help when nobody else can. Amen. Amen. He has power to help. And I'm just glad I got a helper. I'm glad God didn't save me and just say, you work it out until you get to heaven. I'm glad he sent somebody to help me. I'm glad when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the comforter to you. He's going to guide you in all truth. I'm going to send him to you. He's going to help you be able to walk and live the life you should. I'm glad I got a help. I'm glad there's somebody that can stand on my side when I'm standing against my own self. And that person is the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, the Holy Spirit is not just a spirit or a power or a presence. The Holy Ghost is God. He's God. Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. The Holy Ghost is just as much God as Jesus. And he said, I'll help you. Now, I want you to underline that in your Bible. The Spirit also helpeth. I want you to underline that. Because when you try your very best to correct, to achieve, to work through in your flesh, you're going to come up short every time. What you need is you need somebody bigger than your flesh to help you. You need the Spirit of God. Now, I just want to point out just a couple of things, and, and we'll be finished. I, I want you to see the Spirit's help. How does He help? If you look at verse number 5, this is the first thing I'd point out to you. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Ghost, if you'll give yourself to the reading of the Bible, which He is the author of, Man did not author the Bible. The Holy Ghost authored the Bible. If you, if you go and you'll sit in a Bible preaching church, there is a big difference between a church and a Bible preaching church. All right? You can tell it when people open their Bible if you're in a Bible preaching church. If nobody opens their Bible, you might not be in a Bible preaching church. And that's not going to help you. You need the Bible preached to you. You need to read the Bible. And you need to let God start to give you the right mind. Listen, how many of you agree with me? After you've read the Bible through, it changes the way you think. You go and you sit and you hear a man preach a message and it changes the way you think. Listen, I, I don't think I'm ever, I hope I never get over the truth about the root of bitterness staying there, but keeping it from springing up. I heard that in preaching. I've read it in my Bible. And you know what that is? That's a liberating truth to think like God thinks. Well, you think like man thinks and you're going to be in all, oh, you're going to be in a mess. So the help of the Spirit of God is to get you to think right. <laughs> you say, I, I think I've got that covered. I'm going to tell you right now, you need help with that. I need help with that. Have you ever figured out that your opinion sometimes, even though wondrous they may be, can be wrong? You ever found that out? Now, if you're not smiling, I'm going to know I'm nailing it right where I need to nail right now. Sure. 
We like to think that the way we think is always right. And look, I, I understand that because it, it is your opinion and it, it's something that's cognitive you've worked through. But the truth is that God, God thinks so much differently than man. You know, man, man thinks this. Man thinks that the way you go up, the way you go up is to climb on the backs of everybody. But what God says, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. God exalts the humble and he takes and he sets the proud down. Man says, oh, no, 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 you need to climb the ladder and you need to boast about what you've done. Hey, I'm telling you right now, that's the wrong way to think. It's the wrong way to think. I need to, I need to increase my self-esteem. The Bible says you need to humble yourself. The Bible says the lowliness of mind, not highness of mind, lowliness. You know where that comes from? That comes from the Spirit of God in the Bible. Second thing I want you to look at is in verse number 9. But the Bible says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The presence of the spirit. The Bible says that the spirit of God dwells in you if, if you are Christ. If you've been born again, the spirit of God dwells in you. He abides in you. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever noticed that when somebody's present, it always puts a little pressure on you to act a little bit better, a little bit differently? <laughs> you know, my mother's here today, and uh, I am not telling any stories. But I'm telling you that when she was present in my little brother and I's life, when, when she came into the room, whether it be at night or in the day, we knew that there had to be a little bit of an adjustment to take place. You know, if you walk into a room and some, this is, this is a free parenting tip. If you walk into a room and somebody says, I didn't do it, you're the man. It's you. I didn't do it. He did it. <laughs> I'm, are you listening to me? I'm glad that I don't have to be in church to have the Holy Spirit to show up in my world and say, hey, you need to stop doing that right there. Hey, hey you, you, need, you need to start doing that right there. I'm, I'm glad that I have somebody with me. We sang about that earlier. Somebody with me. Somebody there to help guide me. I, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not alone. The devil will tell you you're alone. You're never alone. Somebody right there to help guide you, to speak to you. And the presence of the Spirit of God. Boy, sometimes the presence of the Spirit of God is so, so rich and, and it's so deeply moving. You come to a service and, or maybe in your Bible reading or in a time of prayer and there's such an evidence that God is right there with you. But at other times it's not that way. It's the Spirit of God saying, hey, that's the wrong thing. You shouldn't be doing that. And he's touching your conscience and he's touching your soul. I'm glad I've got somebody present to help me. Amen. Thirdly, look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Boy, aren't you glad that you can follow the direction of the Spirit of God? You ever got bad directions from anybody? You know, there's been a couple times in my life that the directions were so bad, I wonder if they did it on purpose. I'm talking about not even close. I, I remember one time I had, I can't remember which of our children, we had a few of our children with us, maybe it was the older children, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, Brother Knox has this, he, he likes to go caving, spelunking, I think is the actual terminology. 
he likes to go into the caves on the earth. And um, I, that's not really, I'm, that, I'm not really too much interested in all that. But he is. So we decided we would go to this really big cave in North Alabama. And, and uh, so, you know, I had my phone and, and I put in the, the directions and it drove us. And you can imagine if it's a cave, it's not like it's right off Highway 153 or 85. I mean, you got to take a turn here and take another turn there and go this direction. Well, make a long story short, um, we're trying to follow the, the directions and it says to turn. And, and we turned and then we're on a small road. And then it says to turn again and it's a gravel road. And I'm thinking, I didn't know that Siri knew how to drive down gravel roads. And you think I'm kidding. And then it, it stopped and it said, you've arrived. And it showed that we had to walk like a half a mile down to where the cave was. And I thought, that's really poor directions. Because I'm supposed to be pulling into where there, there was supposed to be a place you could pull in and park. Do you know when you give yourself directions sometimes? You get really bad directions. You ever been directed by your anger? You ever been directed by your anger? I'm, I'm telling you, when you start following your own directions or you follow the directions, if you follow the directions of Hollywood, you, are, you have lost your mind. They don't know what a marriage is. They don't know what children are for. They have no idea about anything that I think is valuable and good, but they do know about money and fame and, 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 and all of that. I'm just telling you, you ought to let God be the one directing your life. And he said, I'll do it as many as are led. Then, then look down at verse number 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, We had somebody give us some strawberries. I guess it was yesterday. I, I don't think there's probably only a handful left. It's some of the best strawberries I have ever eaten in a long time. I'm talking about really big strawberries, really sweet strawberries, really red strawberries. Man, it was good. I open up the refrigerator and I see that box sitting there and I'm thinking, there it is again. We still got a few left. There's a fruit that's there. Now, I know what it's like not to have any fruit. I told you before, in Alabama, we had so many different fruit trees. I planted plum trees, peach trees, apple trees, gooseberry bushes, blue, uh, blueberry bushes, grapevines. We planted so many different things, and nothing grew anything. That's right. I mean, I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you, it, it is not fun to keep looking for something. <laughs> One year we had one of our men in the church, he took one of those little Christmas uh, ornament hangers and he screwed it down into a big old red apple and he had it hanging on one of my little uh, <laughs> poor looking apple trees out there. Yeah. Praise God, oh well, it didn't work that way. You know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You know what the Spirit tries to work in you? I'm trying to produce some fruit of love, some fruit of joy, some fruit of peace. I'm glad He's working that way. I'm glad He's trying to push something up in the heart. He's trying to push something up in my soul. He's trying to help me be fruitful and not give in to the works of the flesh. Galatians 5 lists those as well. 
All of these things that are in the book of Galatians that say the works of the flesh, and yet God says, I'm trying to work in you the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what? I gave up after a while. You know what I did to all those bushes, and, and, and I, I, I got rid of all of them. And, and I can still remember the last day that Daniel and I, I don't know if he remembers that, we took a bow saw and cut the last tree down as my wife was pulling in with, I don't know if she had all the girls, I don't even remember how old they were, but, you know, ask her, what are you doing? It, you know, it's going to produce fruit. No, it ain't. I'm, I'm tired of driving around it in the lawnmower. I'm tired tired of making all these little wiggles around it. I'm tired of weed eating. We're going to cut it down. And we did. Hey, aren't you glad that's not the way God treats you? Come on. Come on now. If we started really measuring the fruit of love and joy and peace and temperance and meekness in our life, I mean, after all, we have been sanctified and justified and set at liberty. There ought to be more fruit there. And if God said, you know what, I just don't see enough, I'm done. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost is still trying to push that same fruit up into your life? That's help. That's trying to help you be what you're supposed to be, to conform to the image of Christ and not just to leave you alone. I'm glad I got that kind of help. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You ever been there? You ever been to a place where you didn't know how to pray? And I'm not even talking about in life and death situations. I'm just talking about don't know how to pray, don't know what to ask for, don't, know, don't even know all the need. When we don't know what to pray, look what the Bible says. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Bible says that what the Holy Spirit does is he makes intercession for us. You ever tell somebody you appreciate them praying for you? You know, some people may really have an inroads to God. They may be great prayer warriors. I'm telling you right now, you and I are blessed to have a Holy Ghost praying for us. You know, the illustration about when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us, makes intercession. Great illustration of that would be about a little boy that he and his dad get down to pray and he's only maybe three, four, five years old and he starts praying and asking for things and talking about things that really maybe aren't important, not really needed. Maybe, maybe things that, you know, that really aren't, aren't really being asked in the best motive or in the best reasoning. And then dad begins to pray. And he begins to pray the way it should be prayed. And he prays with his experience. And he prays with his knowledge and his understanding. Have you ever been around somebody that prayed and you knew they were on a completely different level than you were? Aren't you glad you got somebody that when you don't know how to pray what you ought to pray and you're praying things that may not be right, that there's a Holy Spirit that says, I'm going to step in there and pray right next to you and get this thing straightened out. Amen. I may have asked for things that I didn't need and shouldn't have gotten. And the Holy Spirit stepped in and said, now, Father, that's not exactly what ought to be asked for today. Last thing and I'm finished. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want you to note that word and first. That word and is a connecting conjunction back to verses 26 and 27. So in other words, what he's saying is the work of the Spirit. That the Spirit of God is working in my life. He is actively working. That all things work together for good. That all things aren't good. Everything in your life is not good. 
But God takes everything and he works it together for good to them that love God. That goes right back to that justified and that sanctified and that at liberty. Those people, God says, the Holy Ghost is working something in your life together for good. I'm telling you, I don't believe Job, Job did not understand where he was. But you know what God did in the end? God not only blessed Job twice as much as he had in the beginning, but God also showed the devil that there are people that love me in spite of what they do or don't have. I'm telling you, there, there are Joseph, Joseph said that ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You sent me to Egypt. You, you sold me into slavery. You let me end up in Potiphar's house and in prison, and you meant it all for evil. But hey, God meant it for good. That God worked that thing back around. Let me read a verse to you. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Are you listening to me? That God's working in your life things that you may not understand now that are hurtful affliction. But in heaven a far exceeding eternal way to glory. That that's what he's doing. You know, I'm glad that's the case because sometimes I get so caught up with what's going on right now in front of me and I miss eternity. I tell you what, we don't need to miss eternity because eternity is forever. So you know what that tells me? I don't need to grieve the Holy Ghost. I don't need to quench the Holy Ghost. You know what I need? I need the help of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you today, that's what we need. We need his help. We need his mind, his presence, his fruit. We need his work in our life. We need his intercession. That's what we need. And so I wonder this morning, if you're born again, I wonder if there'd be any that would come to an altar, because I'm going to be there myself, and say, God, I I need that help. I understand I'm justified. I understand I'm sanctified. I understand I'm at liberty. But I, I need your help. I need your help. Amen. All over the building. Brother Ken, you can go ahead and play. I need your help, Lord. Again, I told you, there's some people, they, they feel like they've got it handled. Oh, that flesh so strong. God says, I can help you with that. I'm going to give you something. There's no condemnation. Need your help, Lord. Or no, I'm going to just make it on my own. And then I'd like to say to you this morning, if you're here, heads bowed, eyes closed, you don't have to look around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. Maybe you, you didn't understand anything I said about being justified by putting your faith in what Jesus finished at the cross. God proved how much he loved you by letting his son die in your place. And then he proved that he accepted that payment for the penalty of sin by his son rising that third day. That's why we celebrate every, every year, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And I'm telling you, you can't ever get the help you need until you first get 
born again. And God wants to save you. God wants to set you free from your sin and set you free from your flesh. And you can go to so many different psychologists and you can go to so many different self-help bookstores and programs. But the, the thing that you need is God. You need Jesus as a Savior. And he wants to save you right now. Right now. Now is the day of salvation. Would there be anybody slip up their hand and say, boy, pastor, please pray for me. I know I need to be saved. There be anybody like that? Just slip it up and put it down. I'm just going to pray for you. Anybody? Here's my hand. I'm not saved. I don't know heaven's my home. Anybody? You'd slip it up and put it down. All right. All right. sing one verse that will be finished search me oh God and know my heart today try me oh Savior know my thoughts I from every sin and set me free. All right. Well, how many of you glad that Romans chapter 8 is in the Bible? Amen. Amen. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Tonight, tonight I plan on, Brother Dave, you come to the platform just a minute. Tonight, I'm going to probably preach a little bit about... uh, uh, the tribulation. I went to the fifth grade class. Is that right, Bethany? Are you in here? Is it fifth grade? She teaches fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade class, and and she wanted me to give a little of my testimony. And then they opened up for questions, and they asked so many questions. Um, and you know, some questions were, you know, what's your favorite kind of ice cream, and but most of the questions had to do with the tribulation, the mark of the beast, the antichrist, and then uh, we got to Bible college that night. And turned right around, and I had one of the Bible college students ask me a question right along the same lines. And I told him I had one of the sixth graders ask me that today. And so I think I'm going to preach a little bit on that tonight. Now, don't come tonight wanting to know who the Antichrist is because we're not going to know who that is. I don't have any prediction about when the rapture is nor who the Antichrist is. All I know is I'm looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you stand to your feet, please. And uh, our guests that are here this morning, listen, if you're from Tabernacle Baptist Church and, and we have people that have taken their time to be here with us today, if you appreciate that, would you just say amen? Amen. We are glad you're here. And uh, Kimberly, what time does the shower start today? 4.30? 4.30, no choir practice practice today. And, um, And God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.